I was there at that meeting in Oklahoma City, didn't know anybody. I, 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 I contemplated suicide. So I said, I can't do it. I can't be like, look at them, how wonderful they are. And I had the scissors, and I said, you know, I could just slip my throat right here in this room, and nobody would even know me. And then I just heard, in a still, small, loving voice, Marlene, that's why I sent my son, Jesus. Welcome to Stories of Grace special episodes of the Calvary Cast, where we hear testimonies of God's grace in the lives of those who are part of Calvary Bible Church in Grand Junction. I'm Graham Parker, Associate Pastor, and I'm joined by Jess Miller, Lead Pastor at Calvary. Today we hear from Marlene Nisley about how God led her from Catholicism and the convent to saving faith in Christ alone. Here's Jess. Well, uh, welcome to our podcast, Marlene. We're grateful that you've uh, agreed to come on today and uh, share some of your story with us and with our people. Uh, the first time I heard it, of course, was at your house, and I, I came over to meet with you, and you gave your testimony, and I was really just struck with uh, the uniqueness of your story and how God uh, rescued you out of Catholicism. So why don't we start with uh, your your background, your upbringing, uh, was it a Christian home? Um, you know, what was, what was that like? I was born in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and uh, my mom and dad, uh, after the war, things kind of quieted down, I guess, and um, they had gone on a trip to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, uh, and a vacation. They fell in love with it. So when I was six years old, they decided to move to Albuquerque, New Mexico, because they knew friends who had a job for him, a good job. So we were there two years in Albuquerque. We always, we rented at that time when we rented a, a, a little ranchette house on a ranch, and it was a fantastic way. I was six years old, and it was I was my my birthday was in December, so I couldn't go to school yet. So my older siblings, um, they went to school, and I just hung around the the ranch, and I loved it. I learned lots of things, and but anyway, um, we moved back up. Then we moved to Idaho because he felt like he had saved enough money, so we bought some property up there, and. Uh, we lived on a ranchette. We lived in an old ranch house uh, and had cows and horses and pigs. And then mom and dad bought some property and dad started building a house there. It took him a few years and we all helped. Marlene's family was devoutly Catholic. Beginning at six years old, her parents made the financial sacrifice to send her to a Catholic school. As much as they knew, they, they were honoring the Lord. Right. And we went to church every Sunday that I'm aware of, unless we were sick or something. Right. And we even went sometimes at 6 o'clock in the morning. So you hear about, and sometimes when we think about Roman Catholicism, we think about what appears to be, it's maybe the projected image of most Catholics, is that they're not very devout. 
I mean, they go to church on Christmas and Easter mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, once in a while a mass or something, yeah. but it isn't that devout mm-hmm. Catholic uh, upbringing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's what you had. So yes. that was kind of the yes. foundation of, yeah. of where you were at. Now, I feel like the most important point in my life was when I was in second grade. By that time, I was nine. And uh, we had First Communion, and we dressed with the little white dress and the veil. And we were to receive communion the first time. We had to go through understanding to have First Communion. And, of course, they talked about this transubstantiation, which was believing that it was truly the blood. Anyway, I was always either, I was the shortest, so I was first in line or last in line. This, I was first in line. And um, I went up, we went up to receive um, at the railing, at a railing up there that we knelt down and received the host in in our mouth. And um, then on my way back, we were singing the song, Fairest Lord Jesus. So anyway, we were singing that. And um, when I knelt down, it was just me and Jesus. And all of a sudden, there appeared to me a person that was standing looking toward the back of the church, reached out his hand to me and said, come, follow me. So that inspired me to want to enter the convent because I felt like that was the only place where you could really communicate with Jesus and be close and not be embarrassed or whatever. So that's what gave so that in my heart at second grade. Second grade. And so from second grade on, you wanted at that point to mm-hmm. become a nun. I wanted to become closer to Jesus. I wanted to follow him. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't even, until way later, after I was saved, did I realize he was inviting me. At what point did you start sharing with your parents your desire to become a nun? Summer after my eighth grade, I finally told mom and dad that I'd like to go. And I had started working at the St. Anthony's Orphanage, and I got acquainted with the Sisters of St. Francis. And so I connected with them quite a bit. I worked in the um, nursery. During that time, I just was keeping an eye and got closer to the nuns and I really loved them and I inquired of them and I found out that um, they they have what they call a, a I think it's called aspirants aspirants that they go in eighth grade I mean ninth grade through high school they're called aspirants and um, they have a uniform and whatever so it's like a girls high school up at the mother house, which w- was what they called where they train you, and that was in uh, Colorado Springs. So I inquired about it, and so then I talked to my mom about it. And uh, we often would have at the school, being Catholic school, a missionary nun uh, would come and share what they did and stuff, and so it inspired me, you know, too. So, but mom said... Um, I think it's best if you wait, uh, at least until high school, to think it through a little more. She says, I'm very proud that you want to, 
But later she told me she just was worried because I was such a tomboy how I'd make it. Well, yeah. she, she was right, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but anyway, um, so I waited, and then in high school, hmm. uh, after high school, after I graduated, I talked to the nuns there, and uh, they helped me get connected. Then I graduated from uh, St. Mary's High School. Okay, and you were still at that, at that point, you're still clear on, so you're what, 18 years old at that point, mm-hmm. and now you can make this decision yes. for yourself, yeah. and you're pretty clear at that point still, yeah. this is what I mm-hmm. want to do. Mm-hmm. To enter the convent, Marlene needed to have basic living necessities, such as clothes and a trunk, but also a dowry of $350, a large amount for her and her family. After purchasing the things she needed, she was still short the amount for the dowry. So I had $17 left over when I decided. And so um, I told the, the ladies, there were some lay people that were working there. And at lunchtime when they found out I was going to go, um, they wanted to help me. And one of the ladies had had eight sons, and she wanted one of them to go to the monastery. But none of them did, so she said, I'd like to help you. So she um, sent money for a lot of things, you know, and helped help me. And um, actually, I think she paid my dowry. So I had the money, and uh, Mom and Dad took me in September okay. of that, that year. Did you have to, at that point, like even to get in, did you have to apply? Did you have to believe something specific or make a confession of some kind of faith? Not or? that I'm aware of. And it could have been because the nuns knew me there. I see. And yeah, probably okay. knew that I was right. a decent gal and wasn't doing too I many gotcha. bad things. Right. Okay. <laughs> and you were part of the church. I mean, in yeah. that tradition, you're baptized into the church as an infant you're part of the church you've did your communion and all of that were your parents pretty like i i think about that and i think on the one hand they would be proud on the other hand you're resigning yourself at that point to a life without a husband without grandchildren none of that's going to happen right so was that pretty challenging for them did they ever bring it up or they're just like we're giving her in their way, they're thinking we're giving her to God by doing this. Yeah, I, I, it seems like they, mom was concerned because I was a tomboy. But she felt, she saw I wanted it. And so she did whatever to help me mm-hmm. and supported me. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't ever remember anything negative mm, for okay. her saying. Yeah. Um, they, they knew that was my heart. Uh, when we got up there, I got there early, and I had to be there by myself for about a week. And I cried. <laughs> I missed everyone. What have I done? Because you know? <laughs> they had me in this humongous three-story dorm mm. house uh, because it was before the posh, the aspirants. It was the aspirants one where the mm-hmm. the high school kids girls would mm-hmm. live, and. Um, you were all by yourself. I was totally by myself oh, in this my humongous room. Mm-hmm. And it was just time where the, the these buildings were old and they were heated by the boiler. Mm. And they would clink. I don't know if you ever heard of the clinking of 
spoilers for radiators. I bet it's spooky. It was very spooky. <laughs> I mean, I cried and I, oh my gosh. I, I, I knew a, a bear was at the door banging. I, you know, mm. it was just all kinds of things, but I made it through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you believe at that point? Like, if, if somebody would have asked you at that point, how, how do you know you're going to heaven? You know, um, you know, they'd say, Marlene, like, how do you know you're going to heaven when you die? Well, what would you have said to them at that point? I think I would have said, well, um, I, I want to serve the Lord. I think hmm. that was the biggest thing is I want to yeah. be as close as I can. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm doing, mm-hmm. doing, mm-hmm. Um, more than a lot of other people, Yeah, you know, yeah, and right. so... I, I didn't know the scriptures. In Romans 9, Paul says of the Jews that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. Marlene's hope was based on her works. There are sincere people, whether they be in Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, or Orthodox Jews, who believe in God, but who are trying to earn their favor with God. At 18 years old, Marlene now enters the convent. At this point, she's not yet a nun. There's a process she has to walk through. Marlene explains. The first year you're a postulant, you wear a, a, mid, a mid skirt, that's mid calf skirt and white blouse, and you have um, a net veil. And um, you don't really have any vows that you say or anything. You know, you just are are checking it out. And so this will be the first year. And um, then then you go into that second year, you ask permission if you can join them. And uh, you take what they call temporary vows. And those vows you take are for two years. You do, we do have a celebration. Mom and Dad came. And uh, I wore a wedding gown. And I was becoming a bride of Christ. I wore the wedding gown, the veil, the whole thing. And then you get your, your habit and your thing all in the pile. And they, it's presented to you by the priest or... Mother Superior, I think it was, at the at the celebration, at you know mass and everything, and then um, you go and get dressed, and then you come back in and get blessed, and you're um, you do. Now I don't know how it was. I don't know if we did it all. I think we did it all together that we took a vow, a poverty, chastity, and obedience. The first two years of her time in the convent, Marlene and the other nuns are considered novices. They have work to do around the convent, things like cooking and cleaning. So what would an average day look like other than your work? Did you have regular scheduled times where you had to gather and pray and worship? Yes. Uh, I I was trying to remember. I believe we met at 6.30 in the morning at the chapel before breakfast. 
And uh, if we worked in the kitchen, some of us had to get to the kitchen at 6 and then run to the chapel at 6.30. So um, we would go and meet, and we would uh, recite the psalms, and they called it the divine office. We'd go for a little while and work at our places, and then we would... um, we took college. Mm-hmm. We got college. I got a year, two and a half years of college while I was in there. Mm. Anyway, um, and then so we'd have college till about eleven thirty. Then or quarter to twelve, we would have to meet in the chapel and we'd do another uh, fifteen minutes of saying the divine office together. Mm-hmm. All communal, which they consider praying, right? They consider yeah. they call that Their time prayer, prayer mm-hmm. praying, mm-hmm. using the psalms to do that, mm-hmm. going through. And they were very beautiful and wonderful, yeah, and right. I learned them pretty much by heart. Yeah, lots, lots of them. Mm. The one that stuck out on me the most was "As a deer panted mm. for the water, so my soul longs after thee." Yeah. And that Lord, that that's kind of your testimony. Desire. Yeah, that was your testimony from the time you were in second grade on, mm-hmm. as you were longing for God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what what order were you a part of? Was it the Sisters of Saint Francis of okay. Perpetual Adoration? Okay. So, we at that group, um, every there would be a schedule. We'd be scheduled. We'd mm-hmm. always look because it would be there in, at the back of the chapel who was going to be the midnight, you know, what hours. Mm -hmm. And they would come and wake us up, Mm. and they would be, how would they say? Praise Jesus Christ. And we'd say, now and forever, amen. We'd Mm. answer that, let them know we Mm. heard them. Mm -hmm. They'd leave the flashlight, and we'd just put a robe over our jammies Mm -hmm. and went to the chapel for an hour. Mm -hmm. And then we would go and wake someone else up. So you were you were there and you were doing that for how many years total? Um, okay, now the the novitiate was two years. Two years, right? You and had already been there a year before you entered the mm-hmm, novitiate. Mm-hmm. You did those initial right. vows at one year, right? Then two more years you were there. Yeah, and then um, then you took uh, what was it called? It would be this. It'd be temporary vows for two more years. But at that, that time, you're, yeah. And at any time in this, you can leave, and they're not going to frown on you. Exactly. That's why they have that process. Yes. Yeah. After a total of five years in the convent, a woman can leave the convent with no consequences. But if she chooses to stay, she has to take her final vows. Breaking those vows and leaving would be much more difficult. Well, something must have started happening in those two years after your novitiate. Yes. That made you not take the final vows. Right. So what happened is um, when you're then now, this is your start the fourth year, Mm -hmm. then you go out on mission. Mm -hmm. You make the decision whether you would, for our group, Mm -hmm. it was you could either choose to be a nun, Mm -hmm. I mean, to be a nurse Mm -hmm. or a teacher or a what they call domestic Mm. and i chose domestic because i love cooking Mm -hmm. i love the kitchen Mm -hmm. so they sent you on a mission to one of their other places and mine was in 
um, Albuquerque, where I had started, you know where I started from. So you weren't at the mother house anymore, and you were there. And so I started cooking with Sister Mary Lily, and she was a sweetheart. And she taught me how to cook. And we cooked for 32 people. That was 32 nuns. And we had some experiences, but I'll save that for another time. But I learned <laughs> lots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then during that time, I was going to college also. During that time, a gentleman in my philosophy class slipped a little piece of paper to this little nun. Uh-oh. And said, have you ever read... First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and I go no somehow hmm. I found a Bible they had them around there hmm. but, but Bibles and reading scripture were not it's not that they were discouraged or were they discouraged for it for it a was never mentioned isn't that interesting um, Psalms were definitely because you're praying yes. those yeah uh, we had uh, you know the 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 sermons mm-hmm. usually mostly just on Sundays mm-hmm. uh, and the sermons were based all on the gospel mm-hmm. there was a reading from the epistle mm-hmm. epistle but it was only a verse yeah and they did not tell you where right said, this wow. is a this is a reading from the epistle of of uh, first John or this yeah. is a reading from the epistle of of uh, Ephesians so when you say that the sermons were based on the gospel, meaning Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Yeah. But never the letters, never the epistles. Okay. Not for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that was the first time I ever thought, mm-hmm. what's, what's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> first Corinthians. Yeah. So he was, I found out he was an ex-seminarian. Hmm. And he told me about that they're having a prayer meeting. And that was uh, the first time I ever went to a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting. And when I got there, I'm like, this is what I was looking for. Because they spoke to Jesus and prayed and Mm -hmm. shared their worries and Mm -hmm. doubts and anxieties and prayed to Jesus. Mm. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. Yeah. So... um, uh, I would. I was there all the time. Friday mm. nights from seven, and sometimes we didn't get out till two o'clock in the morning. Mm. But it was because alive. they were they were Catholic but charismatic, so yes. they had no ending point of no. their services. Right, singing, <laughs> crazy, and praying, and yeah. oh, it was so special. Fine. Okay, so two years go by, mm-hmm. and during that time, um. I started getting the hots for the Uh-oh. janitor's son. <laughs> so I really felt guilty. Yeah. I really felt guilty. Right, and so right. I did go to confess to the to the priest. And he was so sweet. He said, mm. you know, Marlene, he said, it could be that the convent life isn't for you. Mm. It could be that maybe God would want you to go and get married, you mm-hmm. know, and have civilian life. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time anybody dared to Suggest allow to, me yeah. to think on that line. So right. this would be five years now. Marlene is at this point where she has to make a decision 
on whether or not she'll take her final vows. There was one incident in particular that caused her to wonder whether entering the convent was the right thing or not. The convent had been blessed with many donations of food. The Bible study group that Marlene had become a part of had many people who had a lot of needs and could use some of that food. Marlene picks up the story for us. So I went and asked the mother superior there of the of the the convent there they were about well there were the 30 of us there and um so i asked her do you think i could um get some take some of this extra that we have that because we we've really been blessed can we would be could i be able to give it to someone from our prayer meeting and she goes she went ballistic on me and she says how dare you even think of that trying to do something personal showing trying to be prideful and show yourself up or whatever and and she says don't you know that if we're going to do anything like that it has to be totally through a decision of the group and we have to decide and I'm like okay well can we do that she says well I'll decide that (laughs) so nothing was done but it 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 really hurt my heart because I remember somewhere hearing that you're being blessed and therefore you should bless others or something on that line. And I know it's in scripture somewhere. And I thought of that and then I thought, okay. <laughs> and so then evidently she talked to Mother Superior. So anyway, it was I wrote a letter. I, it, it was consternation. It was two or three days I cried and, and, and wrote this letter to ask if I could come in. But my heart didn't want to. But I felt like I couldn't because so many people had helped me. And I didn't want to disappoint them. So the mother superior asked me, you know, she says, well, she said, I read your letter. And she said, are you, she knew, she, are, you, are you really, are you really sincere? You really believe this is what the Lord wants? And so I told her. Well, everybody helped me, and they were so sweet and kind, and it wouldn't be right for me to leave or whatever, she says. So to tell you what, she says, why don't you just finish out these um, vows, which it was like in July, and August 8th was the day. And, and so she says, why don't you just go home? She said, pack your pack your, tre- you know, your trunk and everything, have it all ready. And she said, if you still decide after being gone for a while, she said, you call me up and we'll get you and we'll, you know, help you get in, back in or whatever. But she said, if not, when your vows are up, that's that's fine. You're free. And she said, it could be that God would have you just go be a civilian, you know. Well, that really helped me. Marlene heads back home to Idaho. As she got home, a conversation with her brother really gave her some clarity. He says, so what do you think? You've been there five years. What do you think? And I says, oh, I just don't know for sure. And he goes, holy smokes. He says, if you've been there five years and you don't know for sure, then he says, I think it's time for you to try something else. And he said, when I was married five years, I knew that's where I wanted to be. And so it just, and then I told him about it. I felt guilty. And I said, no, you did your part. You gave it five honest years. And so he said, 
don't you worry about it. And so I stayed. Marlene decided not to enter the convent again, choosing to stay in Idaho with her family. But she really missed the prayer group she had become so close to back in Albuquerque, so she decided to move back. As she is a part of this prayer group, ministry and job opportunities come available to her. I got invited by uh, at the prayer meeting by a charismatic priest who said we're in need of a dorm mother at this drug addicts recovery program. I knew a little bit about it because some of the kids were coming to the, to the prayer meeting and sharing their testimony. And so, um, so he said, why don't you just come and take a look and just pray about it and see what you think. And so I came and I fell in love with them and I started working there. And I was the dorm mom uh, for, uh, it was about seven, eight girls. Sometimes it got up to 12. And for a whole year, it went very well. <laughs> and then my human love wore out. And someone smarted off, and they had before, and I was able to be cool about it. But this time they smarted off really bad, and I just slapped them. <laughs> so they had to take me uh, uh, off of being the dorm <laughs> And then they had a big old long talking to, and it was a long ordeal. And they said, you know, you've been here for a year now, and maybe we just need to back off. And they said, we're going to send you to a conference, a Christian conference in Oklahoma City. And we think that will help you get a chance to get away and think think about things. When I, when I went to this conference... I was really praying and asking the Lord, what is it with me? Why can't I walk how I should? Why can't I love these people like these elders are? And um, I didn't know about the Holy Spirit at all. And so when I was at that meeting, well, I started reading the Bible during that time. I started reading more. And I I would always choose the most difficult work because mm -hmm. I was still on the works thing. Mm -hmm. And I think, how can I make up for how awful I am? And so I, was, I would do the dirty work, whatever, and um, working my way. And so while I was there, I was praying, and I just thought, you know, I can't do it. I can't do this. I, I, I'm horrible. I started really facing myself, and I was reading when I was getting into the Gospels more. I realized, I saw what I never saw before, is that Jesus got on the people that thought they were super more than he did the bad people and like the prostitute and whatever he was so gentle with them and everything and yet that really hit me I heard it before but it hit me of how this the more you think you're doing the right thing it's 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 not what Jesus wants but then what do you do you know, I mean, I, 
didn't know the next step. I was there at that meeting in Oklahoma City, didn't know anybody, and I was in my dorm in between one of the meetings, and I just, I said, you know, there's, I, 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 I contemplated suicide. So I said, I can't do it. I can't be like, look at them, how wonderful they are. And um, so as I was about, I was cutting my hair, my bangs, and I had the scissors, and I said, you know, I could just slip my throat right here in this room and nobody would even know me, and it wouldn't hurt anything. And then I just heard, in a still, small, loving voice, Marlene, that's why I sent my son Jesus. And, I, and then I started crying, some real tears. And then I thought about it. I thought, oh my gosh, i got to confess all my sins still. So Marlene starts confessing her sins. It's taking her forever to pray through the saints, making confession. And she realizes she could be here forever confessing her sins. At this point, the Holy Spirit impresses on her heart this reality. Do you don't have to confess all those sins. You just have to confess you are a sinner. And you need me. And then it was time to go for the last thing. And when I had the last meeting, it was supposed to be all Christians there. So they didn't do a, you know, a come get saved thing. They just said, if there's anything you need to talk to the Lord about or pray about, we're here. We'll pray with you. Just come on up. And I couldn't wait to get up there. And so as I'm going up there, I said, Lord, show me my sins. Show me how awful and ugly they are. And and please forgive me. At this moment, Jesus' sacrifice for her becomes so real to her. She sees Jesus as her Savior, as her sacrifice for her sins. It was so real and visceral, it was as if she was hearing Jesus say to her, Father, forgive Marlene, for she knows not what she's done. And I just cried, and I saw my sins as an ugly swamp. And you know how you can see the bubbles and they splat? I was seeing them as just bubbles splatting because it was self-righteousness. It was resentment. It was jealousy. It was envy. It was all those socially acceptable sins. As I wasn't a drug addict, I wasn't a prostitute or whatever. Seeing her sin for what it was caused her to see the wonder now of Jesus' sacrifice for her. Marlene begins reading her Bible more. She's now able to understand it in a new way. She's reading in Acts. She begins to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, wait here, tarry here until you receive the Holy Spirit and he will be the power for you to live how he wants you to live, to be the witness. I thought, oh, that's what it is. He, 
And then I went back in John in, in 14, 15, 16, 17, and all that's about the Holy Spirit not leaving us orphan, not that we're going to do it ourselves. The Holy Spirit's going to bring to mind all that I want, need you to know, and it will come right from the throne. And it just set me free. Marlene heads home from this conference, a new creation in Christ. But the doubts immediately start to creep in. So I drove 55 all the way from Oklahoma City to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the devil's sitting on one shoulder saying, they'll never accept you back. Look at how awful you've been. Look at how horrible you are. Look at the reality of how awful. And I go, Satan, I said, you just leave me alone. I said, if you have any problem, you go talk to Jesus about it, because I've already given it to him. <laughs> and I just sang all the way, hallelujah, all the way yeah, home. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. So that so it sounds like that is the time that you were born again. Yes. And you immediately start investigating scriptures and uh, start uh-huh. growing in mm-hmm. your understanding. And then, yeah. In the Old Testament, I liked. Mm-hmm. But when I got into the epistles, yeah. things started I felt like I, things were cut. Yes. Like as if I was a puppet or something. Yeah, yeah. And, this, and, and the one thing that got me the most was um, all these things are filthy rags. Because mm-hmm. I identified with Paul mm-hmm. because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yes. I was a nun of nuns. You That's know, right. I mean, yes. I went as far as you can yes. As, yes. in a sense yeah. to try to do it the world's way or the church's way yeah and i i thought and he said i consider it filthy rags yeah yeah and and that it's only jesus and he's a mediator between god and man and that cut off mary you know and then um and then in hebrews when i got in hebrews oh it's just the lord just opened my eyes to see the throne room that I, little Marlene, could walk in there and crawl up on my father's lap. Yeah. And Jesus was right there. Yeah. And I could tell him my problems and I could let him take care of it. Yeah. Well, Marlene, we want to thank you for um, coming on and sharing your story and just showing the hand of God in your life all the way back obviously and um, giving you a heart to seek him and yet waiting for time in your life and for you to go through what you did to show you how we truly seek him which is through Jesus Christ the one mediator as you mentioned and it's his work not ours and all of those things that he showed you and the importance of the Holy Spirit so thank you for showing that and we're we'll be prayerful that as people listen to this um, they may have more questions for you. So just so you know, uh, they may come up and want to talk to you about more things and, and that and give you more opportunity to uh, glorify God with your testimony. But thank you very much for coming on. We thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray that this conversation has been a blessing to you as you seek to follow Jesus Christ. We pray that this conversation will encourage those who are part of Calvary Bible Church as they hear of God's faithfulness in the lives of their brothers and sisters in Christ. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a rating and a review. Share it with your friends. 
you can contact us at thecalvarycast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at thecalvarycast. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of His people, and the Great Commission. So until next time.